morning. Last week, um, last week I was able to uh, go away for a few days and take a little bit of vacation. And as as we were traveling, I think I, I think I told Bree as we were traveling. It brought it brings back a lot of memories to me of when I was a boy. Um, I can remember leaving Piedmont at about the age of three years old in a 1969 Chevrolet Impala two-door, no air conditioning, windows rolled down all the way to the beach. There was a back seat that could have held a twin mattress. And now if we had, there was no such thing as a car seat. I was about three years old. There was no such thing as a car seat. We was tough back then. If the brakes got slammed on, you just eat the back of the seat. And so all the way there, probably, I ran back and forth from window to window, tagging the windows, and, and it had a, uh, the back of it also that is big enough you could climb up and lie down take a nap there if you wanted to. Amen? I can remember traveling in that, and I'll, I'll tell you one thing that you can, I can remember vividly is when you stopped, Driving in that non-air-conditioned window-rolled-down Chevrolet Impala, an ice-cold Coca-Cola sure was good. But there was always, uh, there was a constant in every vehicle my dad had when I was a boy. Um, I don't know how many of the rest of you remember these, and I didn't know that they still made these. So I called my dad, and I asked him, did he have one? And not only did he have one, he had a current edition of one. But how many of you remember these road atlases? These kids here are all looking at this like this is a foreign. We don't, we don't have books in our library at school anymore, so they don't even know what this is. But you, if you were taking a trip when I was a boy, this was an essential. How many of you had a, an atlas? Now, I also remember, how many of you remember those old fold-out maps? And you get those maps out. My dad not only could unfold it and read it, but my dad could fold it back up the same way he found it and put it back in. It's the most amazing thing ever. It's like folding a fitted sheet. But you open this up, and if you wanted to go to California, if you wanted to go, you could open this atlas up, and you could find your destination there in California. And you could say to it, yeah, you could you could read. And here, look, all these all these highways and stuff here. Back here, I don't want to discriminate against y'all. Y'all yell at me. But, see, when I was a boy, there wasn't even an interstate system that I remember. I, I think, I, I don't know that I-20 even existed when we would go anywhere. So, we had, this was an essential. Now, my dad could read one of these, and oh boy, he, uh, he could highlight it, and we could get where we were going. I remember one year we went to Texas, and we didn't take, all, we didn't take I-10 all the way. We took some side roads and some side trips, and my dad had this atlas in that van, and we, well, he was a master of it. But I'm smarter than my dad, because right here in my hand, I can do this. I can say, hey, Siri. Give me directions to the Alamo. And guess what it does? It pulls up. I turned it off before I came up here, but guess what it'll do? It'll pull up and pinpoint the Alamo right there. And I, and all I, I just had to lay it in the seat, and it even talks to me. Even talk, My dad would get engaged in that mountain. He wouldn't talk to us for 200 miles. What? Then I'm lost. 
always a comedian in the crowd. I'm the only pastor I know who has hecklers. But Jesus, Jesus gave us, he gave us, sometimes Jesus would speak in parables. Sometimes Jesus would tell parables. We're studying parables on Wednesday night. We did the parable of the lost sheep this past week, and this week we're going to do the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus sometimes spoke in parables, and sometimes it was like he was handing us a map through those parables, and he was saying, I'm giving you the story. Now you piece it all together. You look at the map, and you get, you, you get from point A to point B. B. You, you kind of figure it out, and when you get there, You'll appreciate it so much more because you did. Then there were times when Jesus would just pick up Siri, some kind of like, and just go straight to the point. Sometimes Jesus would just go straight to the point. Just basic. Matthew 7, 12. He gave us the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. John 13, 34, he said, love one another as I have loved you. Matthew 5, 44, he gives us one of the toughest instructions when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's hard to do. Then Matthew 28 and 18 through 20, he gives us the great commission, and it's, it's kind of in between. It's to the point, but it's a little bit vague. He doesn't give specifics. He says, um, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, in the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus simplifies the game plan, and he gives his disciples some basic instructions on how to carry out the Great Commission. We call it the Great Command. And he reinforces that every believer is to be involved in the carrying out of the Great Commission. Now, I want to call it this morning, I want to call it the map of multiplication. Because when this was happening, among these uh, disciples that Jesus has given instruction to, they began to multiply. It began to become very exciting where they were. And so I just want to take us through this simple map, map of multiplication this morning and talk about five basic questions that Jesus give, that Jesus answers here in this one verse. Verse number 8, let's read it together. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. First thing he does here is he answers the who of evangelism. He, he answers this when he says, but you, but you shall. He, he says very pointedly, the challenge to take the gospel to the world is one Jesus gives to each and every one of us. Um, the, in a couple of verses earlier, the, they ask him a question. In verse number 6, Jesus has said some, some things to them. And then they ask him a question. In verse number 6, it said, When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So they want to know. All right, Jesus, 
Yeah, just a, little, a few days ago, you said this thing about we were to go and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you told us that you'd be with us to the end of the age. Now, if you would, before you would sinned, if, you, if you'd do us a favor, if you would just tell us when you're going to return, and if you'll let us know when you are going to return to set up the kingdom, we'll have everything prepared for you. And we'll have, we'll, have, we'll have the government set up the way you want it set up. And we'll have everything laid out. And all you'll have to do is return. And we'll, we'll, we'll have everything ready. Jesus says to them, it's, it's still kind of a mystery as he's talking to them. He says, it's not for you to know these things. It's for the Father to know. And when it happens, it will happen. And in the meantime, you have a job. I don't want you sitting around making charts and graphs and being date keepers. But I want you to be a witness. I want each and every one of you to be a witness. It's, and and in, in the words he says here, none of us are exempt from this basic element of Christian living that is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So the who is real easy. The who is all of us. He tells his disciples here who are standing there, every single one of you is, is to carry this mission out. And then we see the what of evangelism. The what, what are they going to receive? They're going to receive power. You will receive power. Now, here's the biggest difference. The biggest difference in the first century church and the church that we live in today, the church of the modern world, there's two words that are, there are a difference in us. It's influence and power. We are a church of influence. They were a church of power. The church in the modern era has become a church of influence. We want to be influential in how, uh, how elections come out. We're courted by candidates. If you watch the, the commercials from this last uh, election here in Alabama, every single person who ran... I don't care if they were running for dog catcher, if they were running for governor. They they had these. Uh, they they told you they were a Christian. They showed a picture that they showed video of them coming out of church with a Bible that was that looked like one of those family Bibles that you have on a, on a table at home. Christian, conservative. Uh, they were three C's. I can't remember the other one now, but uh, every every single candidate, you know, they court the Christian. They want the Christian vote. They want what they call the evangelical vote. And so they court us, and we think that it's wonderful, and we think that it's great that, that uh, uh, candidates come and court us and, and talk to the church and talk about all these things. And, and I, it's been that way probably since the late 70s when there was, especially after the res, uh, conservative resurgence in the Southern Baptist Church, um, it's been that way. And I'll be doggone, I don't feel like we're that much better off than we were then, some of you who are that age. But we, 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 we want to be influential. We want to influence. And listen, I believe we should be involved in the process. We should be involved in what goes on, and we should be a voice that is heard. But more than that, we should be worried about how powerful our prayers are and how powerful we are in sharing the gospel of, of Jesus. Because here's what's happening in the rest of the world. The church has no influence in the rest of the world. In very few places does the church have influence anymore. Right now, uh, I have an article on my desk in my office from Friday's uh, Wall Street Journal. 
and uh, Trinity West University in, large, in Langley, British Columbia, Canada, uh, a, a university there that in 2012 decided they were going to add a law school to their university. And they went through all of the proper accreditations. They went through all the proper channels. They did everything that they were supposed to do to be accredited, to have a law school there on their campus. And so they began to uh, go through the process, and they were taken to court. And the courts have ruled and decided this. They are a Christian university, and in their charter, they believe that marriage is what? Marriage is between a man and a woman, one man and one woman for life, and that outside of that, God does not recognize marriage. So the Supreme, what would be considered the Supreme Court in the nation of Canada, has said to them that this goes against what they would call uh, what would be our Bill of Rights, and they say that it would be detrimental to the uh, LGBTQ community in Canada, and it would say that the Canadian government endorses marriage between a man and a woman. All right? Now, that's, that's the lack of influence that the church has in the rest of the world. Now, is that really the worst thing that could happen? was reading this article, here's what I've, I figured out that that university has done. They've drawn closer to their commitment to God and their faith in God and their prayers and their commitment to standing for what they believe in. And I promise you this, because they have faced this, what I would, I would say this is open persecution against their Christian belief, because they have faced this, now they, uh, their prayers are stronger, their prayers are deeper, their prayers are more powerful, and I promise you, the government may say to them, you can't have this law university, but I bet you, I guarantee you this, they'll have a revival there. They'll have a revival. So this church here that, that Jesus is speaking to, this first century church, these, these men would, and women would make up this first century church, they're going to go to an upper room and wait for 40 days and pray for the Holy Spirit to come. These are people who have absolutely no influence with civil and legal authorities. But the more important news is they have the power of prayer and the power of Holy Spirit in their lives. And when Simon Peter is taken to jail, they don't have the influence to say, hey, we are not going to allow you to do this to Simon Peter. Simon Peter goes to jail anyway, but here's what they do have the influence with. They have the influence through their prayer life with God, and God shakes the prison open, and Simon Peter leaves on his own accord. Would you rather be an influential church, or would you rather be a powerful praying church? That's the question that needs to be answered in the, in the church in America and in the West today. See, we, we have, uh, just in the last couple of weeks, in our, in our Southern Baptist Convention, we are divided into two camps now. And it, I've, I've been watching it, and I've been seeing it come for the last uh, decade or so. I've been watching this inch toward this way, and we are as divided as a denomination now as our nation is divided in between red and blue states. 
And we need to, but what, what, I, what I'm beginning to see is I'm beginning to see an emergence of leadership begin to say, we need to, we need to begin to pray and we need to begin to ask God for the powerful move of the Holy Spirit that used to be among us as Southern Baptists and that used to cause us to baptize millions of people in a year and, and to disciple those people and to train those people and to teach them that their job now was to go and to lead other people to Jesus. And so we need to come to a place where we want the same power that this church had through their prayer life. The Greek word for this is dunamis. That's a wonderful word. Dunamis is the word for power in Greek. It's the word we get dynamite from. Dynamite is a powerful thing. And we need this power in our lives, in our, in our being. We need this power to be his witnesses. The book of Acts is the story of a group of men and women who are just like us. And despite all the bigotry and bias from the Roman-ruled world, they went out from a little upper room and told the story of a man who had been publicly executed and because they were willing to go and tell the story of Jesus Christ, they changed the world. They did so much with so little because they had that power of the Holy Spirit within them. And they had received that power from on high from God Almighty as he sent the Holy Spirit here to give them that power. So we see that, the, the who and the what, and now we see the when. We see when, when this power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, when did this power come upon this group of believers? It came upon them there on the day of Pentecost in the upper room, 120 believers. The Holy Spirit fell on them and came upon them, and they immediately began to have the power to go into the streets of Jerusalem and tell the people who were there about Jesus Christ. We exercise our power, we grow in our power uh, uh, in, in this way through, through our prayer lives. When we receive Jesus Christ, we have the, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives, and, and there's no way that the Holy Spirit can be in our lives and we not have this powerful opportunity and ability to tell others about Jesus. Now look at what the Holy Spirit did for these men and women. First of all, he enlightened them. Go back to John's Gospel. In John chapter 2, verse 22, the, the disciples remember. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. One of the tasks of some of the men who followed Jesus was going to be that they were going to write the accounts of what happened, what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and all of the things that they needed to give us for us to understand our relationship with Jesus. Now, think about the four Gospels, and John in his Gospel there at the end said that if he had written everything that Jesus had done, there, there wouldn't have been enough uh, volume of books to hold it. Now, think about having to remember and recall all the things that Jesus did and all the things that Jesus said and having to write those things down. How many, I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. You asked me about, you asked me about my whole day yesterday and I'll tell you, uh, I watched the Braves. That was about what I can, rem I can remember about it. Um, I, I just, you know, um, I, I, I can't, I, I don't have that ability that I had when I was a kid to have that recall 
and to tell you every minute of the day and everything I've read and give it back to you. A lot of you identify with that. And my buddy Ronnie Mara always says, Michael, it just gets worse. So imagine these men are going to give us an account. How did they do that? The Holy Spirit gave them the ability, gave them the recall to, read, to write the New Testament and to write the many things that Jesus had taught them. The Holy Spirit gave them that ability. He gave their mind the power and ability to have that recall. He told them when to go, where to go, and who should go. The Holy Spirit enlightened them on everything that they should do and how to do it. And then the Holy Spirit energized them. He energized them to preach with power. Peter's great sermon on the heels of what Jesus says here uh, some a few days later. His great sermon that he preaches there on the day of Pentecost after the Holy Spirit comes and 3,000 people are saved and baptized as a result. It was the Holy Spirit who gave him this new energy, this new power to preach and to preach and to preach to make the Lord Jesus real to the lost people, the people who were blinded by Satan and the people who were enslaved by sin. Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, preacher from London, said this, We might preach till our tongues rotted, till we exhausted our lungs and die, but never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit uses the word to convert that soul. I can get you to pray every prayer you want to pray and say every prayer you want to say, but if the Holy Spirit is not involved and the Holy Spirit is not, has not pointed you to Jesus, then, there's, then, then it's, it's all for nothing. It's what Spurgeon is, is saying here. But he gives them the power. He enlightens them and he energizes them. And then he gives them the power to live the life to live the life of a Christian. They didn't have what it takes to live the Christian life. Do you have what it takes to live the Christian life apart from Jesus Christ? A Christless Christianity would be the most mundane, it would be the most hard thing to try to do is to live as a Christian without Christ in your life. And without Christ, they couldn't live that life Without Christ, you and I can't live that life. But here's what he begins to reveal to them is, is that he had given his life for them, and so now he's going to give his life to them. He'd given his life for them, and now he's given his life to them. He, he, had, he had suffered and bled and died for them, and now he has resurrected, and he's going to give his life to them. And what a, that's the most wonderful exchange of any exchange that ever happened. So we see a who, a what, a when, and a why. We, the reason why is for us to be his witnesses. This is the very reason why he gives us this power is to be his witnesses. He says that we will have this power will come upon us uh, when the, we'll have this power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us and we will be his witnesses. There's no such thing as a Christian who's not a witness. If we are saved, Christ lives within us. If we have Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. And if we have the Holy Spirit, we have the power to tell other people and to be his witnesses. Now think about a courtroom. Think about what 
in a courtroom what transpires there. There's a judge, there's a jury, there's a prosecuting attorney, and there's a defense attorney. Now, in our house, the ID channel is on in our bedroom all day long. Uh, that's that's Bree's breeze, uh, fixated on the ID channel. And so there is a trial. There, I see at least 12 trials every day um, in, 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 our, in our bedroom. If I'm passing through, somebody is on trial for something. And I'll, I'll, I'll breeze through and real, as, uh, as a smart aleck, I'll say, somebody do something wrong, Bree? Just tell me to leave, you know. It's none of my business. She's, she's wrapped up in this case. So, but in every, in every trial there on the ID channel, there's a judge, there's a jury, there's a prosecuting attorney, and a defense attorney. But what's missing there? Who's the most important element in all that? It's that witness. It's that witness who's been hiding somewhere for the last three years and didn't want to come forward and has drugged this whole thing out. And in every one of these, they always get that witness there on the stand and he tells his story and somebody goes, but it's always the witness is the key. Now, the, the witness in the, in the testimony and his testimony is the key to everything that happens. We are the key. We are the key. This whole world is here. And, and there, this world is going on and it, it's fixated on everything except what it should be thinking about or where it should be. We look at the evil in this world and we look at all the bad that, that goes on in this world and, and we, we wonder how this world could get any, any worse than what it already is and we wonder what the world is going to be like. I sit and, and we, we talk a lot. I, I, I tell Bree about, you know, what we're going to do when we're grandparents and where we're going to take these kids and all these things. And, 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 but I wonder sometimes what the world would be like if it's as bad as it is now. Do you really want to keep going? And, uh, but, but here's what, our job is not to worry about those things. Our job is to be what? Our job is to be witnesses. Our job is to be witnesses to the fact that one time our heart was just as black and as dirty and evil and full of our own pride and our own self and our own prejudices as any other human being that walked the face of the earth. But that we came into an account, encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit pointing us to Jesus Christ. And because of that now we are witnesses to his resurrection and how he brought us to life. How we were dead inside but he brought us to life and we've been born again. That's what we are. We are the key to this puzzle. We are the key. We are our witness experience. How the Lord changed our lives. You see, these people that Jesus are talking to here in verse number 8, they don't understand that the word witness also means martyr. Most of the people that Jesus is talking to here, they will give their life for the cause of Christ. They will not only give their witness, but they will give their life, their very flesh and blood, because of their witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So the word, the word witness here, that is our key and our responsibility. And he finishes up by answering the question as to where. He's told us that it's total participation, that it's each and every one of us. But then he tells them specifically. He doesn't give them an, a, a huge atlas and, and say, 
you know, make this a hard task for them. He goes straight to the point, and he gives them a three-point pattern to follow. He says, begin here in Jerusalem where you are, and then the places around you are Judea and Samaria. Go there, and from there go all the way to the end of the earth. And they are listening to this, and a lot of them know that they're Jews and that they hate Samaritans and Samaritans hate them. And some of them are saying, I've never been to Judea. I wouldn't know how to get there. What's this all about? And then they think about to the end of the earth and they're thinking, I've never been on a ship. I've never left Jerusalem. I, I don't know how is all this going to happen. But then we read the book of Acts and we see how it transpires just a little while later there on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit will come. They'll spill out into the streets and they'll lead 3,000 people to the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of Acts chapter 2, it tells us that, that Jesus was adding daily to the church. They were multiplying. And then we see in Acts, beginning in Acts chapter 8, there's a great persecution that begins to happen in Jerusalem. And these people who were trying to figure out how they would get to Judea and Samaria now have to flee to Judea and Samaria for their own safety and for the sake of their own lives. But when they go, they take the Lord Jesus Christ with them and the story of their witness and how he has changed their lives. And then after they establish these churches throughout those places, God begins to call missionaries like Paul and Barnabas and he begins to send them out all over the world. And in 30 years' time, in 30 years' time, they had fulfilled Acts chapter 1, verse 8. They had taken the gospel of Jesus Christ and where Jesus had told them to begin. They didn't leapfrog. They started in Jerusalem. They followed his plan. And guess what? All of the known world had heard the gospel preached to them. Now, we, we look at the church and we look at the trends and we see that the church has, we, we see places where it looks like the church is just um, incredible and, and it, that, that things are just uh, going uh, just big and bold and, and, and what the church has really become in our day and time is a great marketing scheme. We market the church, but we don't church the market the way that we used to. You understand what I'm saying there? We have slick campaigns, and we, we set up, and, and, and I'm all for, I, I think we need to plant churches as much as we possibly can. But why are we, 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 we see people uh, spending all kind of money to put churches in places where there's already a, a dozen churches right around them, when there's all kind of places, even in America, where there are uh, so many unreached and unchurched people. We're, we're marketing the church, but we're not taking the church to the market. And here in, in, in our Jerusalem, which is Piedmont, here in our Jerusalem, nothing would be more exciting, nothing would be, nothing could compare to our churches in this city understanding that we are called not to look inside and, and to be inward and to focus here, but we're to look out there and we're to see opportunities 
to make a difference there. Because these people who Jesus were talking to, who had no influence and had no, had no great skills, had no great money, they went to their neighbors. They went to the homes. They went to the people that they knew. And they shared this experience with them. And they told them, my life has been transformed. My life has been made completely new. I, I was a follower of religion. I was a follower of a rule book. And now something has happened in my life. It is a new, it is a wonderful experience. And I want to share with you what Jesus Christ has done for me. I, I can tell you that the most powerful moments, one of the most powerful moments of my life was a young man taking the time to stop and to sit and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with me in the midst of sin and in the midst of, of just excessive, just awful black, dark life. He took a moment out of his life and he planted a seed in my heart that wouldn't stop growing until I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And because of that moment, and because of him taking that time to, to do that for me and to be obedient to Jesus in what he was doing, my life was transformed and changed and is completely different, a completely different outcome than what it would have been probably if he had not stopped and shared Jesus with me. So our task is this. Our task is, is, is this, as a church, as individuals, you want to see great things happen. You want to see excitement, and you want to see, then begin to tell people about Jesus. Begin to tell people about Jesus. Begin to tell people about the experience and the relationship that you have with Jesus. And I promise you, when you come to Sunday school on Sunday morning, it won't be as just, a, just going through a lesson you have something to share and you have something to say. Whether that person converted or not, that's up to the Holy Spirit. But whether that person converted or not, you'll have something to interject and to share and to say, this is what God is doing in my life. He's made my heart so full that I've had to share Jesus and tell other people about Him. Go to the grocery store. Go, go, I, I, can't just, I, I, I never have a five-minute trip in the grocery store. A lot of times I pray with people in the grocery store or in the parking lot of the grocery store. Brian says he's never been to the grocery store. What, he didn't see me there. Um, it's, it's my marketplace, I guess. If you go there three times a day, you're going to run into lost people. Wherever you are. You see, as a minister, it's easy sometimes to get cloistered inside the church and not be around lost people and, not, and, and you're around you're around other ministers and you're around other church members and you get, you get caught up in not remembering what it was like to be lost and somebody having to come and tell you that you're lost and you need Jesus. Chris Posey witnessed to me one time, and oh, Chris is here this morning or not, but Chris told me, he said, I'm your friend and if I were driving by your house and your house was on fire, if I didn't stop and tell you and warn you that you were going to burn up, what kind of friend would I be? And I said, you wouldn't be a very good friend. He said, your house is on fire. He said, your house is on fire. Your soul is, is headed to hell. 
That was how explicit he, he was with it. Now, this morning, our obligation, we, if, we, if we call ourselves a Christian, the Holy Spirit's living within inside of us, then we need to begin to pray and ask God for the opportunities, the abilities, and, and, the, and the way that he helped transform the minds of these people. Every one of us has a story, and every one of us should be telling that story to someone else. A friend of mine just a few weeks ago asked me this question on the phone when I was calling and I was calling other ministers, talking to other ministers about different things, and he said, Michael, you're, you, you seem down. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of down. He said, when's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? And I said, Easter week. I had the opportunity to sit down and share the gospel with a man. He said, that's too long. He said, go tell somebody about Jesus. It'll make you feel better. Tell somebody about Jesus. No matter where your depth of sorrow is, no matter what height you're in right now, tell somebody about Jesus. Pray for the opportunity. I want to share with you real quickly this morning. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He went to a cross on Calvary as a sacrifice and a substitute for you because your life is filled with sin and you had no other way to God except through Jesus giving his life for you. He was buried for three days in a tomb and on the third day he was resurrected. He was witnessed and seen. Historical accounts tell us that 500 men saw him after he was resurrected. He went here in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, gave these instructions, and he ascended back to heaven. And someday he's coming back. Someday he's going to return to this earth. And you will either, you will either, you will meet Jesus one of two ways. You will meet him through the grace and mercy of his cross, or you will meet him through the judgment of his throne. And you have the opportunity this morning to meet him through the grace and mercy of his cross to have every sin that you have ever committed, past, present, and future, forgiven. And to know that when you leave this life, I've had two friends leave this life this week who both knew that when they took their last breath, they were going to stand, their soul was going to meet Jesus in eternity for, for all of eternity. If they had not had that forgiveness, then someday they would stand before the great white judgment throne of Jesus Christ and they would hear these words, Depart from me, I never knew you. And for eternity, they would be in torment in a place called hell. That's as succinct as I can put it. And this morning, there are people here I don't care. I, I don't want. I don't want to know about your church membership. I don't want to know about your christening, your confirmation, your baptism. I want to know about your soul. I want to know about your soul. I want to know that you know for sure that at some point today, if you left this life, your soul would immediately go to be in the presence of Jesus, and you would know Him in eternity. And someday the body, this broken, worn-out old body that we have, will be resurrected to meet and reunite with that soul and live on this earth as it was intended to be lived on for eternity. Dear and come, Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit that we have talked so much about this morning. 
I pray for him to impress upon everyone here this morning, no matter their station in life, no matter their age in life, no matter who they are, I pray that each and every person would ask themselves this question, have I been forgiven of my sins? Have I repented of those sins? And do I know Christ as my Savior? And if I meet him, I will meet him in grace and mercy because of the cross and because of what he did for me there. Father, I pray this morning that people will be obedient. I pray for every person here who knows their relationship with Christ. I pray that they will be praying for your Holy Spirit to speak to hearts and people to surrender their lives completely to Jesus. I ask this in his precious name. If there are those who need to follow in baptism, church membership, whatever needs to be done this morning, in these moments, have your own way. Amen. Would you stand?